0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to POF The Journey. I am Daphne Colstow, your host. POF The Journey is on Instagram. Find the account and follow. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on Anchor FM, and wherever you find your podcasts so that you can get all the latest episodes sharing is caring be a good friend and share this podcast with someone who could be struggling with infertility also send me your feedback at pof at gmail.com i would love to hear from you guys what you think about the show if you have any questions i would love to get that feedback Okay, so today on the show, we will be listening to someone whose resources have carried me through rough nights when ovarian failure was weighing on my mind. And when I was actually having a tantrum before God. Yes, she is the author of the book 31 Days of Prayer During Infertility and a blogger at Amateur This is Lisa Newton's story. While my experience with infertility is with premature ovarian failure lisa's experience is with something completely different a short luteal phase these are all different forms of infertility but they lead to the same thing an empty crib i'll let lisa tell you her story
1: um well we started trying to conceive uh, in the, around the middle of 2012 about a year after we got married And I had gone to the doctor for a checkup before. said, we want to get pregnant. And she said, okay, let me take some blood. Everything looks good. You shouldn't have any problems. (laughs) Great. And about six months or seven months into things, we had had not had any success. I was realizing that um, I had kind of a short luteal phase.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: After I ovulated, my periods were coming like, Eight or nine days later, which okay. is, is too short. It's not optimal. So I went to the doctor. Long story short, but we—I was eventually um, just diagnosed with a with a short luteal phase. Mm-hmm. My husband had some testing, and he was—they said it, he was a little subpar, mm-hmm. um, his sperm, but not too bad. The doctor said um, we put you on Clomid. That'll probably do it. Yeah. Clomid with an IUI. And so um, we did three of those
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and nothing worked. And then our fourth Clomid IUI cycle, um, we had to cancel because I didn't respond well enough. Then they started to think, well, uh, maybe maybe your eggs are not so great. Um, Oh, and I should also say I had been tested. um, My tubes were clear. Everything was fine Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. They suspected that maybe I had some mild endometriosis, um, but that was never confirmed because my insurance wouldn't pay for the procedure to confirm it unless it came back positive. That's so frustrating about insurance. Right, (laughs) and so it was a big risk. And if it came back negative, it was $10,000. Yeah, so then we moved on to IVFs and we ended up doing three IVF cycles. Uh, I should say, three fresh cycles and one frozen cycle. Okay. And the third fresh cycle worked. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and that was my my daughter. She's now four and a half years old. And then um, we had a miraculous pregnancy later Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Um, My second daughter was born uh, without any assistance. It was a big surprise. And um, she will be two next week.
0: So inevitably, Lisa and I had to kickstart our conversation with the biggest elephant in our cyber room, navigating our faith while facing a circumstance that seems contrary to what you'd imagine God planned for our lives, especially based on all the promises that we read in the Bible. I would like to focus now on the big question, why me, Hmm. especially when you start to look at scriptures like Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven and how God has plans for a hope and a future for you mm-hmm. and plans for good and not harm. We instinctively interpret this as well, God has pain free plans for us. Right. <laughs> and
1: so every bad thing will go away. All right. <laughs> I wish. That's hard, right? Yes. <laughs> and and I I don't know that I um Fully understand it myself, either. Many theologians have (laughs) studied this question for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, it just came down to do I believe that God is good? I do. Do I believe that He does what is best for me? Yes. And even if I don't understand how this pain can be best and good, I have to trust. And some days that's harder than other days. And even now, I don't fully understand. Um, You know, now that I am out of the season of infertility, Mm -hmm. it is a little easier to look back and say, oh, Mm -hmm. I understand a little bit now. I see now. Um, Things like my blog and my book, I understand now are part of it. I believe that, you know, what I went through Mm -hmm. has allowed me to encourage others and help others. And so I believe that was part of the good that came from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, not everybody who goes through infertility sets up a ministry to encourage others. Right. So that can't be Mm -hmm. the only, the only thing I think it's different for everybody. Yeah. And, um, and that's very hard to come to terms with sometimes. Mm-hmm. especially when you just got another negative test, right? Oh, yes. So there are days when you just think, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It is, it's just by pure, sheer, like stubborn faith that I have to believe that you are good and that your word is true. But at the end of the day, we just have to hold on to it. If I believe this, you know, I just... Gotta trust. Yeah. Even if it's just a teeny teeny Yeah. <laughs> even, even if it's just a pitiful trust. Yes. We we gotta trust. How did your experience influence your relationships, if at all? Oh, they did. Um, you know, when I when I first got diagnosed, I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. in, you know, offline. Who was suffering? At least that I knew of. Maybe I yeah. knew people, but I didn't know. Nobody was talking about it in my circle of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the last girls in my group of friends to even get married, oh, so wow. they had all already had their children, and so a lot of
0: pressure. <laughs>
1: it, yes, it, yeah, it was. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't know a lot of people, and I did. Um, I did kind of isolate myself for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I started becoming a little more open. And the first girl I met who was also going through infertility, I actually interviewed her on my blog. Mm -hmm. Um, Brandy is her name. And somebody connected us. And that just kind of opened it up for me. Like, wow, it is so great to actually talk in person Mm -hmm. With somebody who understands what I'm going through. I'll never forget, we went for a walk on the beach. And I I think it was the first time we ever met. And Mm -hmm. it was just an instant connection because we understood each other. And from there, little by little, I started opening up more, meeting other people with similar situations Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: becoming more open with my friends who hadn't experienced infertility. Although I should say that when we first discovered this, we didn't tell anybody. But my Mm -hmm. husband and I were praying together and praying individually. It wasn't until later that we shared with people and asked for prayer. And I Mm -hmm. wish we would have done that sooner.
0: Um, When you're getting married in that church, there's usually a a counseling program that churches take you through. Mm -hmm. And they'll talk about all sorts of different stuff, you know, living together as two different individuals and Mm -hmm. patience and kindness and basically building a family. Yeah, and they'll talk about parenting too,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but they don't talk about the lack of parenting. Yeah, and what what happens if you don't have a child? Right. So, what are your thoughts on like just getting this on the church's radar and saying, okay, you guys need to start incorporating childlessness in your marital counseling programs?
1: Oh yes, um, I think that that would benefit so many people especially Mm -hmm. in the church where, like you said, we've been brought up to believe that if you follow God's plan and you wait until sex for marriage, everything is going to fall in line after that. You're going to have have amazing sex and you're going to be so good at it right away. (laughs) You're always going to want to do it at the same time. (laughs) And then you're going to have babies right when you want them. Right. That's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how they don't say that, but that's kind of how it's presented. Yeah. Um, we need to start speaking up. Those of us who are comfortable sharing our stories and those of us who have been through this, mm-hmm. we need to start asking our church to speak to infertility, to speak to childlessness, because there are people in the congregations that, you know, they're infertile mm-hmm. or they're single. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes time to um, do programming, to do outreach, um, you know, to, to craft sermons and resources. Hopefully they'll remember the people in the church who are struggling with this.
0: There are ultimately a number of elephants in an infertile person's room, cyber or otherwise. So here's where we get to fixing the struggle the giant of my story, which has been finding a happy balance between faith and science from the very beginning. We're going to talk as well about being mindful of the biggest obstacle for Christians when it comes to seeking IVF as an acceptable intervention. What to do with leftover embryos
1: after IVF has worked. So let's get into it. I don't believe that seeking medical intervention. Means that we have a lack of faith. Yeah, I think that faith and medicine can go hand in hand, and that they do go hand in hand.
0: You know, I just kind of wanted to hear your thought
1: process on how you
0: managed to integrate the two.
1: I I believe that you know God has given people brains and, mm-hmm. and intellect, and people have done amazing things with science and medicine and technology mm-hmm. and. I believe that that's part of God's gift to us, and that's part of God's blessing to us. We are so fortunate that we live in a time where we have these options.
0: That is so true. Right? And yes, and that's something that we can easily overlook. The Christian world does not cough at heart transplants. Right. Or kidney transplants. Right. Or bone marrow transplants. Mm -hmm. But when you start speaking about embryo transplant, then there's suddenly a problem. Yes.
1: And again, this is my opinion and some people may disagree with me, but I think that that goes back to this elevation of family Mm
0: -hmm. to where
1: God did not intend it to be, right? Mm -hmm. And again, family is amazing and incredible and children and motherhood are a high, high calling and and an amazing gift, but it's not the ultimate, That's not our ultimate purpose in our life, right? Mm -hmm. Our ultimate Mm -hmm. purpose is to love God to serve others, to glorify God, and and so I think that people get nervous and people get scared when we start creating our families in ways that are different. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, and like you said, nobody nobody bats an eye if we go and we um, get our broken bones fixed, or if mm-hmm. we you know if if we take medicine for diabetes or a heart problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is it different?
0: Mm-hmm. I do caution
1: people that we need to be aware of some of the moral issues and ethical issues around yep. IVF, yep. right? Because um we are dealing with embryos mm-hmm. and we are dealing with potential life or life because you know I've been open on my blog. I'm done having children. I have two children
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I have eight embryos that are frozen. And there is no way that I can transfer and carry eight embryos.
0: Definitely not.
1: So my husband and I have this big decision, and we have had this decision now for five years. What do we do with these eight embryos? So two years ago, you
0: said you did not know exactly what it is you wanted to do with them. Mm -hmm. And
1: so has anything changed? No. And this is why I'm talking about it. Because... Uh It, this is probably the hardest decision my husband and I will ever make as a married couple. Mm-hmm. Um. I just paid another $1,000 yep. so we can keep them in storage and have another year to decide. Mm-hmm. Um. The way that my clinic works is that the price goes up every year. It's a lot of pressure. Um. Yep. um this is not something that we thought about really when we did IVF. And so I just want people to, you know, just be aware that these are the decisions that you'll have to make. And we don't regret IVF. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. But I think that we would have we would have had more conversation about it mm-hmm. before we did it.
0: At this point, my husband and I have come to terms with having to use IVF as an intervention. That is in itself a great gift in terms of access, wisdom, and the fact that there are available resources to allow us to use it. However, there is yet another elephant. When do you stop? IVF can be all-consuming. The pursuit of parenthood can be all-consuming. And I completely fear and worry about morphing into this IVF-obsessed, child-seeking person to a point of insanity. So when do you stop? When is enough, enough? In one of your blogs, you talk about the four things never to give up during infertility. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you talk about is not giving up on trying for a baby. Mm-hmm. I know this is a question that you probably cannot answer definitively,
1: but how many times is too many? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so I know that blog post that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and I want to clarify: I do, I don't believe that never give up means, oh, keep trying, keep trying for a baby, keep trying, keep trying. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people decide enough is enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. that it's healthy and that it's wise to say we're not gonna actively pursue this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or we're gonna take a break. Um n- that article was about never giving up on prayer, never giving up on setting positive goals for yourself, um, you know, never giving up on your marriage and your faith. And okay. you can continue in all that and mm-hmm. still decide we're going to give up actively pursuing a baby right now. So I do think, I I do think that you, you know, a lot of people come to a point where they set, they can set that aside in a healthy way.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I don't know how many cycles, how many tries, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, some things that I've, I've told people are, you know, if it's becoming all consuming, Mm -hmm. it might be wise to take a break. Yeah. Um, If it is becoming an obsession, if it is destroying your marriage, if it's going to bankrupt you, Mm -hmm. um, if it's becoming destructive, Mm -hmm. it might be time to consider other plans.
0: And those are some wise words from a brave woman. On her website, amaturenester.com, you can find blog posts where Lisa talks about dealing with leftover embryos once you're done with IVF, the moral and ethical issues surrounding IVF, and how Christians can do IVF and still honor God. She has generously provided a 20% discount to POF the journey listeners on all her material for surviving infertility except for those you find on Amazon. And you guessed it, the code is Daphne, D A P H N E all upper caps. Thank you so very much, Lisa. A very special thank you to Lisa Newton for making this episode possible. I cannot thank you enough, Lisa, for extending so much grace to an amateur podcaster like myself. Follow Amateur Nestor on Instagram. Check out the website, blog, and book 31 Days of Prayer During Infertility. And always be a good friend. Share the podcast. I am Daphne. Stay well.